You're listening to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. With me today is Fraser Quelch. Fraser is the head coach and director of training and development for Fitness Anywhere. Uh, welcome, Fraser. Thank you very much, John. You are, well, first of all, I need to tell everybody listening that it is a great privilege to have you at this exact moment. I understand that your wife is uh, very close to having your first child, correct? That's right. Actually, we're, we're two days overdue now, so it's, uh, we're all just waiting with bated breath. All right. Well, don't make this the same mistake that I made on our first kid and, and even suggest that anything that you have to do is more important than her and that baby. That's a whole other story, but uh, <laughs> just uh, take good care of her because she's going through a lot. I contacted you because I found something that I thought was interesting, a, a, a training program or a technique called, that you call storm training for indoor cycling. Typically, people, when they dr- create uh, a program like that, have seen something in the industry that's lacking. And from that, you decide, I've got a better solution, and you move forward. What were you saying that you felt you needed to correct? You know, that was that was exactly the case. Was as uh, I think it was all part of the the natural evolution of indoor cycling. But when it first began, most of the programming uh, was uh, was clearly more dance based and movement based programming. And and uh, I came from an endurance sports background, coaching triathletes and and uh, participating myself, and spending a lot of time cycling. And I just felt that we were really missing a lot of the real elements of cycling that would make it far more authentic as well as uh, missing out on some of the opportunities to train people more effectively. What my goal was was to bring a real athletic approach, real physiology, um, and, and real performance to an indoor cycling without actually losing the, the motivation of a group environment and all the things that go along with it. Specifically, what was it that you were trying to bring in that you felt was missing? I felt that uh, you know there are three. There are really only three uh, three variables on the bike. You can adjust cadence, you can adjust tension, or you can adjust uh, body position. And what I felt was the programming really emphasized the adjustment of body position. And the reality of the bike is that uh, there just isn't that much adjustment of body position. Certainly, there's some, but it's always functional. And what I saw was a lot of really non-functional movements happening on a bicycle, which to my mind was a little bit like pounding a square peg into a round hole. And so. What I wanted to do was bring uh, bring a real reason to every element of a cycling class. So when I created Storm Cycling, it was based around you know every song, every moment was was going to have a physiological purpose to start off with, and that was the foundation of which the program was built on. And then from there, I wanted to build in some elements that would happen on the road or on a mountain bike that uh, would be program elements. So whether you're working with a team time trial situation or a long climb or rolling hills, I wanted to bring those elements from the outdoors and from a real ride in. And then layered on top of that, I also wanted to pull in a relationship dynamic because one of the things that I really believe that group exercise in some ways is traditionally anyway is uh, is a bit of an oxymoron in that there's people exercising in a group but they tend to interact as individuals and I, I thought there was a opportunity to to, uh, to influence that especially using some of the things that actually naturally happen on a bike so pulling in uh, competitive environments, natural cooperative environments where teams are working together, individuals are working together in a training partner kind of setting so that you actually got a, a bit of a relationship, a training partner feel, a team feel 
from a group exercise program. And I found that layering all of those things in on top of what group exercise instructors were already really good at, which was motivating and, and, uh, and, and pulling energy into a class and, and, and selecting music, was uh, a much more effective way of teaching and really allowed you to layer your class in such a way that when you scratched when you scratch the surface, you found out that there was layers of thought that had gone into the program as opposed to, hey, this is just kind of really fun to do to this song, which to my mind was, was you know, it's, it's sort of funny, but that was where a lot of people were, and, uh, and I thought that we could do a lot better job by our participants. I've talked to a lot of people about kind of what you're describing, and with no offense intended, a lot of this came from the early cycle instructors were group fitness instructors, or at the time, I guess we called them aerobics instructors, my wife being one of them. Uh, and, they're, and they all move very well. <laughs> I look at myself exactly. as a cyclist, and, and, I, and I've said this before, my wife came home in 95 or 96, she said, John, there's a, a group fitness class that you'll be able to take because I don't move very well. <laughs> well, I mean, and that was, I think, one of the uh, when I when I say it was a natural evolution that the cycling programs had to take, when cycling first came out, uh, the you know the the manufacturers that were making the bikes needed to go out and find fitness professionals to develop the programming around it. And at that time, group fitness was very predominantly dance based aerobics. There's nothing wrong with dance based aerobics. It's, it has it serves a huge market effectively and has for a long time. The problem is is what those instructors, I think, did was stay where they were most comfortable. Many of them, I don't think, were competitive cyclists, but they were tremendous movers, as you said. So they explored that whole area of how to move on the bike. And so we got things like the piston jog and figure eights and all of those things that, well, may be interesting. If you actually did on a bike, I'm almost certain you'd fall off. And certainly no one would ride with you. Right, or look quite goofy doing it, yes. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think in, the, in some ways that detracted from the market, as you said, who, who you know, were primarily not dance-based men. And while the bike appealed to them, dancing on it did not. And so I think we've, uh, and even despite that, we did see a, a bigger influx of, of, of male, of, you know, just a male influence or, or men into a group cycling room, which was great. It's exactly what clubs were trying to accomplish. But we were still dancing on a bike. And I think if we get away from that and, and, tap into some of those other elements, we open up that, uh, that group exercise feel for even more people. Talk me through, a, if, if you can, a, a typical class that you would structure based on what you're describing. I think the, the first thing is, is I always uh, start with a two-phase warm-up, and that is the first phase is just sort of three to five minutes of just general spinning, no real intensity into it just to get blood working. I think that's a very effective way to start. And in fact, if you go on an outdoor ride with a group, most of the time, unless you're on the hammer ride, it will start that way. Just you'll roll out and spin along nicely and, and make sure you've got uh, you know, a, a low level of activity in, in your body before you start to load uh, intensity onto it. And that, the other thing that that actually allows you to do, that particular phase or that song of the workout, it allows you to communicate some things that are important. It allows you to talk about technique. It allows you to create some of the relationships that you're going to use later. It allows you to set up the frame of the class. Uh, so from a leadership perspective, it's very effective that way. Then the second phase of the warm-up uh, is almost always a, a stepped series of intensity bouts. 
thinking about rolling hills or pulls into the wind or something like that. And, and my goal there is to explore most of the, um, most of the heart rate zones or intensity zones so that at the end of that warm-up phase, I can throw anything at the participants and I know physiologically they're prepared for it because I've, I've done that for them. And that means that I can go anywhere in my programming from there. And that's, uh, that's very, very effective. How are you communicating form? Sounds like you're adding a lot of structure to your class. How do you go about communicating it? You know, I, I think it's, it's, way easy, it's, it's really, really easy to overcoach and, and say too much. And I think people need some of the basics. In my mind, the things that people do wrong, uh, incorrectly, or, or just things that would make their experience much, much better, first of all, is setting up the bike the way you'd set up a road bike so that you're paying attention to cockpit position. So you're actually doing the four points of adjustment, saddle height, saddle depth, and then handlebar height and handlebar depth to make sure people are right. And that obviously happens before you get on the bike. Once they're on, I think um, the concept of a smooth pedal stroke is lost on many, many group exercise instructors, or not instructors, but participants on the bike. And so I'll go over a little bit of that. I might do some, some single-leg emphasis drills. I'll think about them turning a circle. Uh, I'll think I'll, some of the other cues that I think are important, a light hand, uh, light hands on the handlebars. Many people I see are white-knuckled on the bars through a class, and that's just not very much fun. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it takes away from looking and feeling relaxed on the bike, which I think allows you to add a lot more power and, and just generate better results from your time on the bike. The other thing that I'll talk a little about is breathing, because I don't think, uh, in many cases, that people aren't taught how to connect their breathing to the bike and how it's important to, you know, really breathe with their belly, especially during the intensity sections of a class. Uh, they'll, again, come up short of what they're actually capable of. So those are the sorts of things that, uh, from a technique standpoint, I'll put in. As I said, the other thing I think is really important is I'll always make introductions. You know, I'll have people turn to the left and right and make sure they introduce themselves to the people beside them. These are the folks that are going to, who they're going to be training with the whole day. And I also think it really helps with retention. You know, kind of like the old Cheers song, you want to go where everybody knows your name. And as you know the names of the people you're riding with, you don't have to have a long, in-depth conversation with folks during the class. In fact, if you're working the right intensity, you won't be able to. But knowing those names and having those familiar faces will lead to, you know, little chats in the locker room afterwards, and that's going to help the engagement and increase the retention in your class and, on to, and you know, as a follow-on effect, increase the retention overall at the club. The tagline on my podcast is, join me in my search for a spark of inspiration. And you just gave me one. That is probably the best tip I've heard in a long time. They're there in the class. There's some knowledge of the people around them, but to actually introduce themselves, you know what, I'm going to use that tomorrow morning in my class and see how that works, because I can see that value. The, the nice thing about that introducing people is it sets up all of those relationships that you're going to explore. I mean, there's nothing like sitting down on a bike, not saying a word to anybody on either side of you, despite the fact maybe there's 20 or 40 people in the room, and have the instructor teach at you. And, you know, I often say that an instructor is one person with one person's energy. And while most instructors have, you know, an exceptional quotient of energy or an unusual quotient of it, they can't come close to matching the energy of the combined energy of 20 people. And so on top of all of those other benefits I talked about in terms of introducing somebody, like introducing your, your classmate, 
from there, if you're integrating that relationship dynamic that I talked about earlier, where every every element has, you're either choosing to, hey, I'm just going to lead this one as an instructor traditionally, or I'm going to partner you two up, and you're going to be, you're going to work together to achieve whatever goal that you put in front of them, or you're going to compete against each other, or you four people, you're going to work in a team, almost like a team time trial, share the load, and work against those other four, and those sorts of dynamics create a whole other level to group exercise that, uh, in my opinion, is, is rarely explored. Rarely. I've never heard of it or seen it. Amazing. Okay, so talk me through, uh, as the instructor, how, okay, you've, you've created these partnerships, groups. Talk me through how you would uh, go about exploiting them. Uh, okay, well, let's say, um, I, let me, you know, I'll give you the purest example of it. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples of it. In those early parts of the class, usually I won't have them work as, a, as like a full-on unified team, Yet, because in many cases, especially if you're if you're early, if you're early stage introducing this concept, they won't quite be ready. At least early in the class. By the end of the class, you can do this with anybody. So what I'll do is I'll I'll partner them up. You know, and and as it gets harder, you know, all I'll do is say, you know, have a look at your partner. If they look like they're falling off the cadence, say something to them. Give away some of your energy, and I guarantee you'll get twice as much back. And it works. Um, and so you know, they'll they'll in that case, they're kind of working along with each other. Uh, that really works with. Uh, Long climbs. You know, you put someone in a long climb and they're going along and all of a sudden they're, they feel like they're working together. Just like you would if you and I went out on a road ride, John. Mm-hmm. The first part of the climb, we'd probably ride together and, and we'd probably work along together pretty well, motivating each other. Now, if it's the usual road ride, and I actually think the concept of a friendly ride is really an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp or military intelligence, it never turns into a friendly ride. Somebody always attacks. And so you can take that that same that same relationship. So now we're on the early slopes of the climb and we've been working along together and now maybe it's uh maybe it's one of those long climbs where you've stacked two songs together. On the second song you can use slightly more aggressive music and all of a sudden twist that relationship you built which was cooperative into a competitive thing. And so where each of the the um the rises and falls in the music you can coordinate with an attack just like you do on the road, but this time you've given the person somebody to attack their training partner, and it's all in good fun. Oftentimes, it's really quite interesting. I find everybody will compete very, very well with each other. Men will compete automatically. Here's where I get myself into trouble by making gender, gender, uh, <laughs> gender generalizations. No, I think you're accurate. But, but, I mean, men will compete over anything. You know, automatically they just do. Women need, in many cases, to feel it's okay to compete. And then... So compete at a level that puts the men to shame. But oftentimes, because I think in many cases, that kind of head-to-head competition uh, for women is much more personal. And so you got to make it so it's okay. And so one of the things that I've done really successfully in, in, in both of my classes and in my lectures about how to do this is, is, you know, a little joke about it. What happens in the cycling room stays in the cycling room. It's okay to compete with a person next to you. They're not going to hate you for it. Because in many cases, I think that women tend to, and I'll use the word tend to, because this isn't, again, a unified thing, but they tend to take competition really personally, right? It's a personal thing, and uh, whereas men, I don't, I don't, I think are less that way. I mean, they'll just compete, and and, and uh, there's nothing to it but that. And so, if as long as you've given that that okay, that you know, hey, what happens in here stays in here. It's just for fun, everybody. Then people will kind of pull their stops out, and they'll compete like crazy against each other. 
That's not so much a problem when when it's uh, two women sitting beside each other who know one another. Same thing as two men, really. I mean, it's not that different. It's if you know, it's a perfect stranger, and they're looking at them saying, wow, this person seems nice enough. I really don't want to tear her legs off or anything. Then there's a, there's a sort of a, you just need to make that okay. So there's an example of how you might take, start off teaching that relationship. Later on in the class, I use something called a, basically I'll take a team time trial. And if you've ever been in a competitive uh, road race that was a team time trial format, you're working with your team of however many people. In a group cycling class, it works best with four people. But, you know, it can be three, it can be five, it can be six. But four people is nice. And they basically cycle through who's doing the work. So everybody, you pull everybody up right to their anaerobic threshold. So kind of the best way to describe that to a class that they get it is where they have to breathe with an open mouth, mm-hmm. you know, or where, where they're working hard enough they could maintain that pace, but if they worked any harder, they wouldn't. Sort of right on that edge, and that's where you want everybody. And then the person who's at the front of the line, basically, takes their, their resistance uh, up a couple notches where they're working, where they can't maintain it for that long. And you hold them there for maybe 10 seconds, at which point they'll actually physically tap the person next to them. And the next person will bring it up two notches while the person who was just working brings it down two notches, and then that person will go. And they cycle through the line in that way. And what happens, it's incredible. The energy is amazing. Once you've set it up and you've got to lead them through once or twice so they understand the flow, and then you can just let go and say, I want you guys to cycle through one person every 10 seconds. In many, many cases, without coaching, you'll hear them counting down. You know, all on their own, they'll be yelling, 10, 9, until they get to the one, and they'll tap the next person and go, and the other three will cheer on the one who's on the front. And that is an incredible amount of energy that all you've done is set the stage, make the introductions, do some teamwork, do some individual work, and then make it competitive, and then... You can let the dogs out, and it's incredible what will come out of your class. This is exciting. I'm all about creating self-direction in my class. I, what you spoke to earlier, well, sometimes there's just way too much instruction. We don't give the participants a chance to take ownership of their exercise level, their heart rate. This is fun. I'm sorry I'm having a hard time staying focused on you because my brain's going 100 miles an hour thinking about my class tomorrow morning. Well, I mean, I can think I can, I can sum up kind of what storm cycling is really all about. And we talked about, you know, there being a physiological element, a program element, a relationship element. And really, the best way to, to think about it is, first of all, the physiological element. What does the body see? You know, the body only sees intensity and duration for the most part, right? So there you can look at what sort of performance elements are you going to use? Aerobic? Are you going to use hills, which is kind of max force? for X amount of time at a lower cadence? Are you, does it see threshold, which is more that anaerobic threshold, 5 to 15 minutes, maybe 85 to 90%? Maximum aerobic power, which I've had athletes describe as not maximum aerobic power, but might actually puke, <laughs> uh, which is very, very difficult, and it's 90% plus, and only for about 2 to 4 minutes, or anaerobic lactic capacity, which is an all-out effort, 5 to 30 seconds. Now, if you're working with an athlete, you can say, all right, we're going to do five maximum aerobic power intervals. They'll be three minutes long, and we'll rest for five minutes in between each go without any music. And they'll do it because they're athletes. That's not effective in a group exercise environment, but it doesn't mean that that can't form the foundation of the class, which means as coaches, we're putting in the same kind of thought process as we would if we're working with athletes. But then we're layering on things over top. So that's what the body sees. The next thing you need to concern yourself is what will the participants sense? 
right? And that's, those are the program elements. Is it going to be standard riding? Are we going to do pulls into the wind? Are we going to do short climbs? Is it going to be a long, steady climb? Are there going to be breakaways, an individual time trial, a team time trial, sprint attacks, sprint finishes? All of those things can be layered on top of physiology of it, and it works really well. And the nice thing is, is the physiology does your programming for you. It tells you how fast they should be pedaling. It tells you how hard they should be working. So if you've done it this way, it creates the drills all by itself. And then the final element, so now we've got what does the body see, what will the participants sense, and then finally, what will engage them? And, and the engaging part is really the relationship dynamic. Is it going to be competitive, cooperative, a combination of those? Or is it going to be individual? Because the other piece of the relationship dynamic, and I think this is incredibly powerful if it's done right, is can you take somebody to a place where it's just them? in their head. And they're actually, there's a, there's a favorite quote of mine. It's part of a bigger poem, but it's, it's basically, I come to know peace through effort, serenity and exertion, and uh, find the free spirit within me. And that whole idea, peace through effort, serenity and exertion, many people who come to these classes don't know where that is. You know, I think instructors and, and fitness professionals and athletes, they know how to find that. That's why they do what they do and why that's such a huge part of their lifestyle. But if you can take somebody and teach them how to get to that spot individually, on their own, in their own head, I think you've given them something incredibly powerful. And that's kind of the, we talk a lot about competitive and cooperative and how to create teams, but just as important or even more so, I think, is finding that spot in, in, their, own, in their own psyche. I went to a class this morning, forgot that it started 15 minutes earlier than what I thought, so I didn't, couldn't get into it. Katie is her name. She's in a very attractive, moves like crazy instructor, and the class is full. Mm-hmm. I teach. I still get this little hole in the front of me, right. people-wise. You know, I've got a studio with 40 bikes right, in it, sure. and everybody kind of fans out around. It, it's with great frustration that I'm trying to find ways to bring people up to the front you know what? I actually make them do it. I'll, I'll stand there and, and basically say, you must fill up the front first. I don't care what your favorite bike is. Okay. Because I know that, I mean, a lot of, and sometimes to begin with, they won't like that. But, um, but I mean, I'll, especially if it's a class that's not full. I mean, if, if I'm filling a class up completely, then it's really not an issue. But in a big studio, like 40 people, depending on your time slot, oftentimes you won't. And then what you'll get is, it's hilarious to watch because you'll get this, like little individuals all over the room. And you can't possibly oh, yeah, connect them. They are separated by the maximum amount of separation from anybody else. Sure, it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like the men's urinal phenomenon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> what you need to do is is um, is as they come in, say, "I want you to fill up this front row first. You know, as soon as the front row is filled up, okay, you can fill up the the second row now. But I want to make sure you're you've got to be next to somebody. And they'll be like, "Oh, this is different," but. As you do that, what will happen is you'll get one cohesive group. And there's nothing like, and the bike should be close enough that I've often said that position your bikes close enough where you, you can't, you can't uh, feel the sweat, but you can feel the heat. Right. And ours are that way. Yeah. yeah we're, we're at as many bikes in our room as you could place, and they are rather close. I mean, you can bump into each other climbing on and off, those kind of things. But you should be able to feel the heat of the person next to you. You know, and if you can feel that, then there's a physical connection that's not unpleasant, but that's tangible, right? I mean, people's energy is is um, are, is crossing over one another. You know what I mean? If they, if we if you believe in an energy field that people have, 
that they're close enough that that energy field is actually intermingling with somebody else's. And that, uh, that makes a huge difference. It's astonishing. Frazier, this is probably one of the best interviews I've ever done. I appreciate this. No Let's switch gears just a little sure. bit because you're more than just training instructors. You actually, Your company actually created uh, something that's called the TRX Suspension Trainer, which is a portable training tool. I was noticing in my club, Lifetime Fitness, we have them. Tell us a little bit about that. I realize it's more of a visual thing, so it becomes something that they really need to see, but describe it for us and and tell us what it's about. You know, it's been incredibly exciting. I've, I've been involved with Fitness Anywhere since we first began, uh, which was four years ago. It's, it, you're right, it is very difficult to explain that the, the TRX is our product, and it's a way, basically, you can convert your body weight into any exercise for any body part that you'd want to do, which is exciting. It means you can, you can take this little piece of equipment with you anywhere. It weighs a couple pounds. We're using the TRX with every major sports league, everything from in the, in the NHL, the NFL, uh, Major League Baseball and, and in the NBA and many teams have integrated into both their travel training program as well as their, their structured their structured training. We're even doing some work with um, many of the top uh, mixed martial artists, ultimate fighters. Uh, you know, these are people who, if they're not in peak physical condition, they actually get beat up. <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it's it's uh, very very effective for the top level athlete. It was actually born out of um, the Navy SEALs. Our our founder Randy Hetrick was a Navy SEAL for 14 years, and he's the person that uh, that created it. On the other end, right now we're using it at the University of San Francisco with a fall prevention program. Many physiotherapists have started to integrate it into their rehabilitative training. And so you can, if you connect those two dots, high-level athletics all the way down to rehabilitation, you, you can use it with everybody. And it's because it's just a percentage of their own body weight. And so how you relate to uh, the TRX in terms of how your angle is, in, uh, as the steeper you get, the more difficult it is, the shallower you get, the easier it is. You can suspend your feet into it, and it gives you just an incredible core engagement in pretty much everything you do. It's been unbelievably exciting. I, I think the one thing I can say is that uh, you know, I've been thinking about you know, not much more than it for about four years and Every time I sit down with it and just decide, okay, I'm going to be a little bit creative today and, and figure out how I can use it for whatever. You know, I, the way I work, the way my programming works is I'll think about a principle and try and map a strategy to that and then come up with techniques to map to those two things. And I've, I've yet to be stumped in terms of coming up with, some, with a technique that the TRX will allow that's very effective. I mean, I don't believe in doing something that falls in the category of, yeah, you can do it, but why would you? Uh, anything I'm going to develop will will have real merit and, and offer real real advantages. And it's been just an incredible, incredible process working with the TRX and with these athletes. Where can somebody uh, see this or get some information? Well, as you say, it is really visual. So uh, our website has actually got a lot of exercise videos called uh, Fitness Anywhere. The website is fitnessanywhere.com. And there's a big exercise library there as well as uh, our community site has got a lot of uh, of of um, uh, video blogs of things that I've done and things that others have done. And it's probably the best way to get information as well as um, I present at many conferences and a lot of times there's a suspension training element to it. Suspension training is kind of what the TRX allows. And the other thing is is we offer, uh, this year I think we'll, we will have done almost 150 courses uh, all over the U.S. and Canada. So there's another great way to get uh, fully ramped up on the TRX is through the courses and all of those things are are on the website.
Well, Frazier, I appreciate your time with us today. You've inspired me, and I'm, like I said, excited to uh, take some of this to my class tomorrow morning. And good luck on uh, parenthood. Well, thank you very much. It was certainly a pleasure to talk to you, and I'd love to talk to you again. And as for the parenthood thing, uh, yeah, we're we're, uh, very, very excited about it around here, and I'll be sure to give you an update. Oh, I would appreciate that. All right. Well, thanks very much. Thank you, John. 